Welcome to the beginning of the 27th year of Radio Curious. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. This edition is devoted to the pending Senate hearings and possible confirmation of Rex Tillerson as the next United States Secretary of State. Tillerson, the ExxonMobil oil company chief executive officer, was chosen by Donald Trump to head the State Department. He has a long history in the Russian oil business, as well as having an alleged personal friendship with Vladimir Putin, the Russian president. Our guest is Andrew Kramer, who has been a reporter for the New York Times at its Moscow, Russia bureau for the past 10 years. Kramer shares his reporting on Tillerson's attempts on behalf of Exxon to gain access to the Russian Arctic oil fields, as well as Tillerson's personal connections to Vladimir Putin. In addition, Kramer investigated and revealed the activities of Paul Manafort in Russia, who, within a week after those reports became public, resigned as Donald Trump's campaign manager. When Andrew Kramer and I visited from the New York Times Bureau in Moscow by telephone on December 29th, 2016, we began with his description of Tillerson's history in Russia. Rex Tillerson has a long history in Russia, and the arc of his career here in, in a large part traces some of the key developments in Russia over that same 25-year period. Uh, because uh, Rex Tillerson was involved in Russia since soon after the breakup of communism. As an executive at Exxon, he was overseeing Exxon's move into Russia, into this vast, newly opened territory for the oil industry. His first venture in Russia was in, in the Far East, in Sakhalin, for the offshore oil development there. And he met Putin uh, for the first time before Putin was, was even president of Russia uh, during a visit uh, by Mr. Putin to this oil platform off the eastern coast of Siberia. Um, obviously, his importance rose when he became president, and Tillerson's relationship with Mr. Putin became very important as Exxon expanded its operations in Russia. The largest step for them came in 2011 uh, when they signed a, a deal to develop uh, oil resources off of Russia's northern coast in the Arctic Ocean. And then this, um, this deepened the, the tie between Exxon and uh, the Russian government right up until sanctions were imposed in 2014. Uh, Tillerson had, had opposed them. The reason for those sanctions? Well, the sanctions were imposed uh, um, because of Russia's intervention in Ukraine. Uh, they came in, in three phases. Uh, the first phase was for uh, annexing the Crimea Peninsula, and then a more uh, intensive and uh, damaging phase of sanctions came in the, in the summer of uh, 2014 after the United States government said Russia had shot down a civilian airliner uh, over Ukraine and was sending its military across the border into eastern Ukraine. Um, and these were the sanctions that really hit Exxon's business hard. Which uh, Tillerson obviously opposed. That's right. He doesn't come out directly against sanctions. The statements were cautious. Exxon's actions were, were actually speaking louder than, than their statements. What were those sanctions? Uh, the sanctions were what were called sectoral sanctions, and, and they uh, restricted uh, loans to Russian companies 
to three months. So they could only uh, American companies could only provide short-term credit uh, to to the Russian state bank, Sparebank, and the Russian oil company uh, Rosneft and, and others. And the other uh, portion of them were, were industry sanctions that limited the transfer of technology to Russia. Um, and this was specifically Arctic offshore drilling technology and shale oil technology. And you mentioned a moment ago that uh, Exxon's actions um, spoke louder than their statements. What were their actions? Well, the sanctions caught Exxon at a very delicate moment because uh, after years of preparation in the summer of 2014, Exxon was sending an, uh, an exploratory drilling rig into the Russian sector of the Arctic uh, to test the thesis that, that there was oil in this area. Um, it was an extraordinarily expensive uh, venture. Just this one uh, well would cost um, close to $700 million. Um, and this, this entire venture coincided with, with the escalation of the war in eastern Ukraine, so that the rig, which was initially based in Norway, um, was still in port when, when the airliner was shot down, the uh, Malaysian airline Flight 17 uh, over eastern Ukraine. This was a, a horrendous event, um, which I covered in Ukraine, and uh, only a few days later, the uh, Exxon, uh, in spite of this and, and the likelihood that there would be repercussions in the form of sanctions, um, Exxon sent its rig into the Arctic. What were Exxon's statements contrary to their actions? Well, the statements, as I said, were, were very cautious. The company's stated position on sanctions was not um, opposition, but rather opposition to sanctions that would exceed those of, of the European Union. Um, and as I mentioned, Tillerson in comments uh, made clear he was opposed to sanctions, but uh, only spoke of them several times in 2014. At the same time, they were pressing ahead with this drilling venture that would, that would greatly help the Russian oil industry. An economic desire on Exxon's part to have access to greater oil fields in the Russian Arctic. That's right. The profit motive was clear for, for Exxon, um, but the story behind it is, is also the story of, of U.S. relations with Russia in, in recent years, because um, this whole process began uh, under uh, the Obama administration's reset with Russia, uh, in, in which uh, the Obama administration encouraged companies like Exxon to become involved. The idea would be uh, there would be a profit motive on both sides uh, to have a, a stable relationship, um, that Russian oil companies would benefit, American oil companies would benefit, and as a result, the governments would behave better. Um, so uh, these, these sorts of deals were encouraged uh, up until 2014. And they were discouraged today, uh, December 29th, 2016, when President Obama uh, issued further sanctions against Russia for the involvement that he alleges occurred with regard to the election here, uh, resulting in Trump being the president-elect. Um, can you address those? Well, well sure. Um, this is just another indication that our new Secretary of State, Tillerson, if, if he's approved by the Senate, is going to be um, walking into a real beehive of, of issues in, in Russia. Um, he's opposed to sanctions, but the new sanctions uh, were imposed uh, for um, electoral uh, meddling, and, and the uh, Central Intelligence Agency has determined that the goal of uh, Russia's hacking campaign uh, during the election um, was to help uh, Donald Trump uh, get elected. So it's a very delicate issue for uh, for Trump, and it will be a delicate issue for his new Secretary of State in responding to, to Russia. He'll be faced with the choice of lifting these sanctions, um, which were largely symbolic in, in that they target the uh, Russia's two main intelligence agencies, the 
Federal Security Service and the main intelligence directive of the Russian militaries. These are not organizations that obviously do business or have a lot of people traveling uh, to the United States or having their money kept in, in American banks. Uh, nonetheless, Tillerson will have to uh, decide whether to, to lift these sanctions, obviously together with the Trump White House, or to leave them in place, which is something of an embarrassment if, if uh, the sanctions were imposed for an action which was intended to get Trump elected. Well, that would also address, would it not, uh, the connection between Tillerson and Exxon that would benefit if the sanctions were lifted? That's right. That would be the Ukraine-related sanctions. And there's a talk, and, and uh, this was brought up in an interview with Henry Kissinger recently, that Trump might consider, or certainly the Russians would be interested in, a new sphere of influences deal in Europe where uh, the U.S. would back off from Ukraine and perhaps Georgia and allow Russia to have uh, sway in these areas um, in exchange for perhaps a promise of good behavior in the future and a lessening of the ongoing uh, violence in eastern Ukraine. Uh, And then sanctions would be lifted with the added bonus, um, the sort of icing on the cake here being um, a very profitable business opportunity for Exxon. What likelihood do you see of that occurring? Well, it's hard to say. You know, we've we've been through an, um, an interesting year politically. Nobody expected voters in England to vote for Brexit, even for, for Donald Trump to be elected. So now um, there's talk that um, it, it might be impossible to have a, a new sphere of influences deal. I just had an interview today uh, with, a, with a U.S. senator on this topic who was saying that the Congress would never um, accept a sphere of influences deal with Russia, a sort of new Yalta. But um, it's clearly something that, uh, that, that uh, the Russians would want and, and something that Trump, as a, as a deal-cutting businessman, might consider. We're visiting with Andrew Kramer, a New York Times reporter based in the Times Moscow Bureau. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Andrew, on December 21st of this year in the Times, uh, you wrote that Uh, Mr. Tillerson's personal relationships with uh, Putin and Sechin are expected to undergo microscopic scrutiny during the upcoming Senate confirmation hearings. Can you elaborate on that? Um, In addition to being acquainted with with Vladimir Putin, Tillerson has done uh, business with and and worked uh, for an extended period with Igor Sechin, one of Putin's right-hand men, um, uh, also a former intelligence officer, who's now head of the Russian state oil company. Tillerson um, uh, obviously concluded the deals, the Exxon deals with, with Sechin, and uh, the two call each other friends. So that, that's a relationship which will be um, carefully reviewed. I, mean, I don't know how many in Congress would, would want our, our Secretary of State to be considered a friend of, of a close um, ally of Putin, and indeed of, of Putin himself, who, who's given uh, Tillerson an award for friendship. So this long, long relationship with the senior leadership in Russia, uh, which was centered on oil and gas and, and, and profit, uh, rather than some of the more thorny issues of, of politics and, and even of war and human rights in Eastern Europe, is something that is likely to come up during his confirmation hearings. What access um, or input might you personally have into those hearings? You mentioned uh, that just before you and I uh, began our visit today, you were in touch with a member of the United States Senate. Well, the, 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 sh- the short answer is probably none. Um, sometimes the, the Congress uh, references newspaper articles uh, for the record, um, and, um, and a congressman will stand up and enter a, a newspaper article for the record. 
Other times, uh, articles can can prompt hearings. This has happened uh, rarely in, in my career working overseas, but it did um, it did happen once with uh, oil deals in, in Iraq. Um, I, I think in the Tillerson hearings, uh, there will be obviously reams of uh, of information that the, that, the, that the Congress has access to, um, but uh, New York Times articles are, are also read. Andrew Kramer, in August of this year, during the time that Paul Manafort was Donald Trump's campaign manager, you did some stories about his connections with people in Russia. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was it was a uh, a, a complicated um, investigation, but uh, the, the idea behind it uh, was um, that his campaign manager, Trump's campaign manager at the time, Paul Manafort, had worked for years in Ukraine as an advisor to an authoritarian uh, president um, uh, who um, uh, who was also an ally uh, of the Russians, um, and this work was. Um, was largely uh, shrouded in secrecy, um, but there had been a revolution in Ukraine in 2014. Uh, so many of the documents of the old government uh, were coming into the public, uh, into public view uh, through various means. Some were discovered, for example, in the former president's uh, yacht harbor after the day after he he fled his palace on the outskirts of Kiev, and they were fished out of the water and dried out and examined. Others were found in in a sauna of a senior official. And still others were found in, uh, in a, a building of uh, his political party that was burning down during the revolution. They were taken out and, and um, examined. Uh, so I knew that at least some papers regarding Paul Manafort's work had come out during the revolution, and I wrote a small story about it at the time. But once he was named uh, uh, chairman of, of the Trump uh, campaign, um, uh, we decided to go back and take another look at this issue um, and see if there might be more, um, which led to a an investigation that determined um, he had received under-the-table payments in Ukraine, totaling about $12.7 million. Um, and this was revealed in, a, in an article uh, that came out in August, and within a week he had, he had resigned as campaign manager. How do you think that that issue dovetails into what we spoke of earlier uh, concerning um, Tillerson and Exxon, and Tillerson potentially being uh, the new Secretary of State? There's been a lot of discussion uh, about uh, Trump's ties to Russia and what they mean, and um, there's not a clear answer to it, um, honestly. Um, his own business dealings uh, have been limited, um, so far as we know. He sold some property uh, to, to Russian oligarchs. Um, he's been to Russia to uh, host a beauty pageant. Uh, but many of his, his advisors and senior aides have uh, – uh, a, a position which is really a head-scratcher for Republicans, which is uh, a, a desire to have close relationships with a close relationship with Russia, even as Russia veers into a more authoritarian and anti-Western stance um, in its policies. Um, we've seen this consistently uh, uh, through the campaign and into the into the transition period. So it's almost as if you know the world's been turned upside down. You have Democrats arguing for a a more aggressive uh, stance toward Russia and uh, the Trump, the Republican Trump administration, uh, supporting exactly the opposite. Um, there's been, there are business interests perhaps behind this, as we as we mentioned with with Exxon, um, and there may be uh, uh, personal histories as as with um, Paul Manafort, who had a, a long a long history of, of working in in Ukraine uh, with for a pro-Russian administration there. Uh, and and we'll see how this plays out. What what exactly this uh, this signifies. 
some, some have suggested this is a, a reverse uh, Kissinger, that, that what uh, Trump intends to do is to befriend Russia um, and turn against China, much as Kissinger in the 1970s befriended China as a way to weaken Russia. If there is a strategy behind it, it's hard to tell with Trump. Do you have any uh, insight into that beyond what you just said? Uh, I, I don't. I don't cover the U.S. side of, of the transition, and uh, it's uh, a bit of, a, of, of guesswork whether, for example, his phone call to the, the president of Taiwan, which broke with U.S. policy on China, was carefully thought out or, or just the result of, of lack of preparation, that it, that it was it was an off-the-cuff uh, decision. And sometimes it seems that, that his comments are, are not um, – not fully thought out. For example, on, on the, the hacking sanctions, um, he, he responded to the likely sanctions yesterday by saying that um, computers have, have made our lives easier but also complicated them. It's a very vague and hard-to-understand response to the idea that Russia had interfered in the election to help him to comment on the, the effect of technology on our lives in that way. I thought I might go over a bit, if we're talking about Tillerson, our, our next Secretary of State, if he's uh, confirmed, um, a little bit about um, the, this period in, in summer of 2014 when I, I was working in, in Ukraine, in eastern Ukraine, and, and intensively covering the conflict there. On July 17th of that year, there was really an awful event where a civilian airplane, uh, Malaysia Airlines 17, Flight 17, uh, was shot down over, over eastern Ukraine. And it took, uh, it landed, uh, the wreckage landed in, in, a, in the middle of a battlefield. Um, so you had uh, the armies fighting over, uh, literally fighting over um, the scattered wreckage of this Boeing uh, 777 airplane um, and the remains of those who were on it, um, are really one of the more gruesome things that have happened in, in recent years in this part of the world. And these are the kind of, of difficult, painful, and complicated issues which Tillerson doesn't have uh, experience with uh, based on his, his dealings with Russia um, from the point of view of the energy relationship. So I think there are two, two sides of the coin with, with Russia. One, a lot of opportunity, obviously, to improve relations. And, and then this other side, which was the, um, the, the, the risk of, of Russian expansion and aggression in Eastern Europe, um, which is, is, is not abstract at all. What do you see as coming from that uh, risk? Where do you think it may lead? I think the, the stated goal of the Russians is to restore a sphere of influence, to restore if not the Soviet Union, a version of the Russian Empire. Um, they think that Ukraine and, and parts of Eastern Europe are historically areas that should be under Moscow's control. And, and I think that using various means, which uh, could well lead to a war in, in Central Europe, that influence uh, will be restored if there's not a, a contrary move from, from the West to, to uh, check it. And what would you anticipate the breadth of that contrary move to be to succeed in checking it? Well, that's really the $64,000 question or $64,000 worth of sanctions. It could be economic pressure, but also would most likely have to include a very clearly stated Western concept of what Eastern Europe should be. And a lack of security guarantees in Eastern Europe have been the causes of two world wars, uh, obviously, the First World War began in the, in the Balkans, uh, and then the, the, um, the Second World War over um, the division of Eastern Europe uh, between the Soviet Union and Germany in, in 1939, um, partly because the treaty that ended the First World War did not offer these security guarantees for Eastern Europe. NATO was supposed to address this problem. Obviously, it, it probably should have been done differently. 
to not have a triumphalist element after the end of the Cold War, that we were moving into Eastern Europe as the victors. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Trump's statements about NATO have really opened uh, a lot of questions about Western commitments to the borders in Eastern Europe. And um, this um, is not going to go unnoticed in, in Russia. So I think that that's the real risk, is that we'll have a, a mushy understanding of where the lines should be drawn in Eastern Europe, which could invite uh, a war. So then bringing this back around to Rex Tillerson, what is your opinion? It's said that Tillerson is a very tough negotiator and that he, he did well negotiating for his company in Russia. Um, and it could well be that he would uh, be a, a good negotiator for the United States. Uh, on the other hand, the depth of his experience extends only to uh, the depth of, of oil wells and, and not to the other uh, concerns, the uh, human rights and and the security questions in Central Europe. So I, I would not uh, want to venture a guess on how he'll, he'll handle this problem. Uh, tell us, Andrew Kramer, the area which you do cover as one of the New York Times reporters uh, based in Moscow. Well, um, very honestly, it's, it's a fabulous job. It's almost a Disneyland for a reporter in this part of the world, and particularly working out of this bureau. Um, we cover everything from the Baltic states, uh, which are, are a little corner of Europe, um, down to uh, Central Asia and Tajikistan, which uh, borders on, on Afghanistan, has many of the same issues there with terrorism um, and instability. Um, obviously, uh, Ukraine um, is, is, a, is, is part of the beat, um, and it's been a big issue in the last uh, three years. Um, it's a, a position which involves conflict reporting, war reporting, uh, but also uh, business coverage, and, and if you want it, um, there's there's plenty of um, work to be done on the arts and culture in Russia. It's a very rich uh, tradition and, and a lot going on uh, in those spheres as well. Who provides the direction to you on the areas which you investigate? In the Times, it varies a bit depending on where a reporter is working, but uh, most of the story ideas are generated by reporters and pitched to editors who then gauge their interest in the idea and, and move forward with it. Sometimes on larger projects, there's collaboration between editors and reporters beforehand, and then a story is, is put together. But by and large, it's driven, the coverage is driven out of our bureau here in Moscow with uh, uh, reading of the Russian press, uh, talking to uh, Russians, talking to people who live in this part of the world uh, about the issues that are important to them, and then putting that together into into narratives, which, which can be um, written as newspaper stories. What is the response of the person on the street uh, to the new regime that will be taking over in the United States on January 20th, 2017? Well, in, in conversations that I've had, the usual response is uh, Russians are pleased that relations between our countries might improve. And here in Russia, Trump has been viewed as uh, a guy who will stop talking down to Russia, who will stop lecturing Russia um, and perhaps exhibiting some hypocrisy in, in preaching uh, about policies that Russia should pursue while violating those principles um, as the Russians see it in America's own uh, foreign policy. So they think there's, there'll be a break with the past. Uh, Trump was always considered the pro-Russian candidate. Some people here, based on watching Russian state television, thought that uh, if Hillary Clinton were elected, there would be war with the United States. So people are, by and large, pleased. Um, I think his, his personality reminds Russians of a, of a Russian politician, uh, Vladimir Zhirinovsky, a clownish, uh, gesture-like uh, politician who's been around for a long time. And 
is also something of a misogynist and um, and a nationalist, um, and and, um, and and quite a talker as well. So uh, I think there's some there's some similarity there. There's some recognition or some recognition of this personality type, uh, at least in this part of the world, of, of the larger-than-life uh, leader. I would say, by and large, um, there's hope that relations will improve. Well, Andrew Kramer, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I have some questions about you. And one is, how long have you been based in the Moscow Bureau of the New York Times? Well, um, Barry, that's, um, that's a good question, and it's been a long time. I, I've been here now for uh, more than 10 years. May we presume that you have uh, a considerable fluency in Russian? Uh, yes, I do. I work without an interpreter and uh, and read and read the newspapers, watch, watch the uh, Russian television without any problem. And uh, tell us about a little bit more about yourself. Uh, the question that I, I do ask all uh, my guests at the end of an interview is to describe a eureka or an aha moment in your life that changed your view of your life, of the world, of your future. Well, it might, it might be a small thing, um, but uh, when I was a, a student at, at UC Santa Cruz, um, toward the end of my time in Santa Cruz, uh, I uh, had a job writing advertising copy for a, a newsletter. I think it was mailed to uh, residents or, or, or dropped off in grocery stores. I'm not sure how it was distributed, but I was paid $200 uh, for an, an article. Um, and these were infomercial uh, articles. I wrote one about a, a Volvo dealership, for example. Um, and it was just a real revelation to me that, that I could make money by writing. Um, and uh, I never really looked back after that. Uh, tell us, Andrew, uh, what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Well, um, Barry, I'm, I'm looking out the window um, here in Moscow from my office, and it's it's pitch black, obviously. It's night here, um, and the, the uh, parking lot outside is covered in snow. It's very cold, and I spent a long time in Russia. So one goal I would have would be to explore another part of the world, maybe even America. So... I would certainly want to uh, expand my horizons a bit. And finally, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners? A, a book that I, I enjoyed um, and was written by a mentor of mine, uh, David Hoffman, the former uh, bureau chief of the Washington Post in Moscow, is called The Dead Hand. And it's a, it's a story about the Russian uh, nuclear weapons program at the end of the Soviet period and into the post-Soviet period. Um, and it's a really chilling story about uh, nuclear weapons, told in a in a in a, in a very gripping manner, um, with some some details that many people might not know. That, for example, the Russian government had developed a so-called dead hand weapon, um, where if the, the leader were killed, the proverbial twitching fingers of of the dead leader would set off nuclear war. In other words, there was a mechanism to launch if there was no leadership. The, the book uh, it covers this, this topic and many others, but it's also a very good read about nuclear weapons and nuclear weapons policy. Um, maybe that sounds a little bit grim, but the storyline is very uh, well put together. The Dead Hand by David Hoffman. Andrew Kramer, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much for having me on. Andrew Kramer has been a reporter for the New York Times Moscow Bureau for the past 10 years. He has reported on the business and personal connections of ExxonMobil Chief Executive Officer Rex Tillerson in Russia. Tillerson is Donald Trump's choice for Secretary of State. The Senate hearings to confirm his appointment as Secretary of State will begin this winter. The book Andrew Kramer recommends is 
The Dead Hand, the untold story of the Cold War arms race and its dangerous legacy by David Hoffman. This program was recorded on December 29, 2016. Radio Curious has over 600 archive editions on our website. They're free for anyone to enjoy, download, and broadcast as you wish. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters about our programming and look forward to hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The snail mail is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.